What fuels our next step when the journey is daunting, facing seemingly insurmountable odds? When failure has been our companion, why do some choose grit when others quit? The capacity for grit is what the writers of Scripture called endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the shape of a heart that's increasingly able to honour its commitments, live out its calling, and rise above the hard to reach the hope. Some call it grit, some resilience. Whatever you call it, it's simply the shape of a heart that refuses to quit hoping that God's best is yet to come. It's the grit in your soul that finds traction for blessing in the most difficult circumstances. And there is a pathway to these gritty blessings that will lead to a resilient life. Jesus once shared them in a mountaintop moment. Eight Steps to Building a Resilient Life Hey Calvary, today is the gritty blessing of peacemaking. Before we jump in, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to those of you who have served our country in the goal of peace. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice. We are so grateful. And for everyone else, wherever you are and however you found us, I'm so glad you're here. And with all my heart, I believe that if we're open to him, God is going to do something significant in our hearts today as we ponder the gritty blessing of making peace. 2,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah looked into the future and said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty King, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And when that child finally came 700 years later, the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And while he walked the land, his message was, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. On Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem, which means a city of peace. The Prince of Peace rode into the city of peace. And and in Luke 19, Luke describes that day that Jesus rode into town. We call it Palm Sunday. The crowds were cheering. It was this massive celebration. Everybody shouting and singing and praising God because whatever it is, (laughs) they've got it. And what were the people shouting? Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And I, I wish I could put us there in that crowd watching that scene. He comes over the top of the hill. He's looking down into the Kidron Valley, a steep, narrow valley to the east of Jerusalem. When you come to the top of the Mount, Mount of Olives, you, you get this panoramic view of Jerusalem, the temple, the eastern gate, the gate of mercy. It was just an incredible day. In fact, Matthew says the entire city was stirred. It uses the word to quake. It was quaked. Everyone is so excited. Why? Because they think they found what they've been seeking, someone who can satisfy their hungers and fill the void and put the pieces back together again, make them whole. And ultimately, isn't that the cry of every heart? I'm, I'm missing something. Make me whole. You understand, our our souls have a whole shaped like Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is not just about forgiveness. He goes deeper than that. He wants to fill our emptiness with peace. And, And that's the scene in Luke 19, 41 through 44. It never fails to capture my attention. It says, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city, saw the city of peace, and he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize your moment. You didn't recognize the time of your visitation. If only you had known what would bring you peace, but you missed your moment. And what did they miss? They they missed Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
And so we have to ask the question, what is peace? In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus challenges us to make it, but in John 14, 27, he called it a gift. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift of peace, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. What is peace? I remember the, the very first trip Lynn and I took with Sarah, our oldest daughter. She's just a few months old. We were brave. So we're driving from Minnesota to Kansas City to see my grandparents. An eight-hour drive, no problem, except for the fact that Sarah cried nonstop for seven and three-quarters hours, and then she fell asleep. Every trip after that for decades, I drove through the night because blessed are those who have peace and quiet, right? Peace is the absence of noise. I'll never forget one of the return trips that our family took from a Myanmar mission trip. We're on a plane somewhere over the Atlantic, and, and the whole flight felt like we were on the backcountry roads of South Dakota with this constant bumping and shaking. And then occasionally we went from backcountry roads to amusement park roller coasters, drops fast enough and deep enough that my lap would strain against my seatbelt. And and not only drops, but that kind of thing where the plane is doing this and, and my kids are reaching for their white bags. We were in the midst of a storm. I could see the lightning strike from cloud to cloud. Some of you have been in some storms lately. Relational storms, storms of bitterness, financial difficulties, storms of depression and, and anxiety. And isn't that a, a true picture of anxiety, this internal storm that just won't let your soul sleep how about the incredible emotional storms brought about when a child has no forever family? Blessed are those who fly through calm skies because peace is the absence of storms, right? How do you define peace? <laughs> 30 years ago, in 1993, a historic gathering took place in the lawn of the White House. Lifelong enemies, Yasser Arafat, leader of the Palestine Liberation Organization, and Yitzhak Rabin, Israel's prime minister, signed a peace accord. Both nations agreed to work towards ending the conflict, ceasing the hostilities. And 30 years later, how's that going? In the Middle East, how's that going? In so many countries in Africa, how's that going? How's peace doing in Ukraine and Myanmar. I, I didn't realize this. There's this thing called the Global Peace Index. It's fascinating. It, it indicates that the world has become less peaceful 13 out of the last 15 years. And man, the most optimistic of us see the lines being drawn globally. And yet it's not even just globally, is it? The conflict and division in our own families, our churches and neighborhoods and nations as as a Washington Post article described the last few years, we've been living in an anger incubator from racial conflict to political conflict to church splits to divided families. Some of you are nodding, at least internally, because in your home, peace is nothing more than that glorious moment when everyone stops to reload. Because the anger just, it's just out of control. And we're looking for a ceasefire because peace is the absence of conflict. And what do we need more in our world right now than peace? We, we all seek it, but attaining it, keeping it, that's all too rare. Typically, when we ponder peace, we're pondering absence. I and mean, that's how we define peace, right? Peace comes from absence, the absence of noise and the absence of storms and the absence of, of conflict. And so ultimate peace is emptiness. In fact, I've heard people, I've said this, we walk past a coffin filled with an empty shell and what do we say? Looks so peaceful. 
as though the best peace we can hope for is the absence of life. But, but when Jesus talked about peace, he had in mind the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. Shalom is well-being in, in the widest sense of the word. It's thriving. It's emotional health and, and contentment and good relationships and intimacy with God. It's spiritual thriving, physical, emotional thriving. It's the blessing of God that sums up all other blessings. Shalom is more about fullness, overflow, than it is about emptiness, more about presence than absence. Shalom is the wholeness of heart that comes from a fullness of God. And as much as I like quiet and calm and the ceasefire, and I tell you, I'm not looking for less. I'm, I'm looking for more. I'm not looking for emptiness. I'm looking for presence. That's, that's the peace Jesus brings, the peace that he promised in John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There, there's a way of having both peace in Christ, even when there is trouble in the world. It's a peace in him and the peace of him, of his presence. Peace may come from the absence of crisis, but shalom comes from the presence of Christ. Yet You understand, I cannot be, you cannot be a peacemaker if we do not know the maker of peace. Listen, let's not... Let's not play church this weekend. People miss life when we play church. And Jesus wants to restore what the devourer has destroyed. He wants to bring peace. He wants to fill us up. His, his message has not changed. It's still the good news of the kingdom of God now, here and now. His power is still the same as when he first came, the power to heal and forgive and, and set free and make whole. He wants to do more and just change your circumstances. He wants to change you from the inside out. And this is so vital because there are so many around us, in our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplace, our schools, so many around us who need shalom. The guy in the car next to you at the red light, the woman in the cubicle next to you at work, the student hooking up or drinking hard at your son or daughter, mother or father, your neighbor or friend, maybe at the moment, it's you. You're just you're on empty and you're looking to fill up. And and remember for a moment who's listening to Jesus in this mountaintop conversation. It's not people who have it all together, who have everything they want. It's people who are oppressed and poverty-stricken and occupied by the Roman government. It's refugees. It's the poor and the powerless. And, and they're looking for someone to deliver them, someone who can do what they can't do, someone to give them what they're missing, someone who can give them life. And Jesus says to them, Blessed are the broken, for you are on the steps of the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will find comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You get it all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are not just those who have peace, but those who make it, the peacemakers. And what do peacemakers look like? Well, you know, honestly, there aren't many people I know who look more like a peacemaker than my friend, Pastor Mac. Listen to his gritty blessing story. Hello, Calvary family. My name is Harold McKenzie. I'm the senior pastor at Unity Church of Jesus Christ. Very many years ago, before 
I ever uh, became a pastor, was ever involved in ministry, uh, a, a fellow Christian who did not know me came to me and shared that the Lord had spoken to them that in my life and in my ministry, I would be a peacemaker. And I have found that that to, that to be very true over the years in very many ways uh, that God has used me before I ever realized that I would be uh, co-founder of CCU, Community and Campus in, in Unity, uh, an organization that really uh, did a lot of work in our community here in State College in the Center Region uh, in the areas of bringing racial reconciliation. Uh, I found that uh, myself also in situations bringing brothers and sisters in Christ together uh, to resolve issues and uh, things that were divisive. And I think one of the things that God has done for me in the context of all of this is put a passion, uh, one, for His love, not just for us, but His love through us toward one another, uh, a passion to uh, be reconciled to one another, an understanding of how important it is for us to come together uh, across the so many dividing lines. One of the big challenges in our world and specifically in the church today is being able, being able to sit down and come together in peace, work together in peace, and let the peace of God just be translated through our lives one to another and again to the world around us. I think we are living in a world that very much needs peace. We look all around us in so many levels, internationally, uh, throughout the United States, uh, and, and of course here locally, where things are in turmoil. People are in turmoil. And in the context of that, they need peace. We have to uh, make that choice to let His Spirit, to let His heart be manifest through us, both to one another, as we seek to just wrestle with all the things that are going on in our world today, but also with a word to, to let His peace be manifest through our lives to people who don't know them, Him, and they don't have a source of peace. And so I'm glad that He both called me to uh, to have a passion and to to be used to bring peace. I would also say that um, he makes that, uh, make it, makes it a promise. He says, those who are peacemakers, blessed, blessed, blessed and highly favored are the peacemakers. So, because they will be called children of God. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing from our Lord that if we are carriers of His peace and letting that peace manifest in and through our lives, that people will be able to look at us and recognize God through how we're living. God bless you. So who are the peacemakers? 
Listen to Paul's description of peacemakers in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with. You could say putting up with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, people like this, those who put up with one another and love, people who are humble and gentle, completely humble and gentle, people who are eager for unity, they are the ever-beating heart of community. They're in the group that everybody wants to join, the neighbor who always has the most kids in their backyard, the person at church with whom you feel so safe, you run to them rather than from them when you've messed up. They forgive when others just give up. They pray when others just say they'll pray. They, they see their own sin long before they see yours, and they rarely offer peace of their minds without offering a peace of their hearts. They are the heart of community. There is a wisdom about them that, that makes you want to listen, even when they're confronting your choices. And, and because of their relational wisdom, you, you walk away different. They go the extra mile for reconciliation, for relationships, and, and they make every effort to build unity, to build bridges, to bring people together, even with people who've hurt them, who disagree with them. They're the people that James writes about in James 3, verses 17 through 18, when he says, but the wisdom that comes from above, he says, first of all, you realize there's a wisdom that comes from below. There's a wisdom that comes from hell, but there's a wisdom that comes from above, and it's first of all pure and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then I love what he says. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. They, they sow seeds of peace that produce a harvest of righteousness. They, they foster and they adopt kids. That they're the people of peace in their apartment building. Everywhere they go, they make a difference. Christ has made a difference in their hearts, and so they're making a difference in the world. They, they can't help it. Bill Moore grew up in poverty. He got drunk one night and shot a man for $5,000. Ended up on death row. Lee Strobel tells his story in his book, A Case for Faith. There were a couple of guys in the area who sensed God leading them to go make peace in a prison in their area. They met Bill and they told him, Bill, Jesus loves you and he gave his life on a cross for you. He died for you. He, he went to death row for you. Nobody had ever told Bill about Jesus before. And, and he, he ended up turning his life over to Jesus and it changed him so much, changed the darkness and the bitterness and the hatred inside him so much that the people started meeting Jesus through this guy. He became known in the prison as the peacemaker. His cell block was the safest place in prison because so many guys were being changed by Christ. In fact, churches, I can't believe this, churches found out and when people needed counseling, spiritual counseling, they started sending people to the prison to get counseling from Bill Moore. I mean, can you imagine calling Calvary Task to see a counselor and hearing, well, there's this guy over at Rockview, that's where we send everyone. Oh, he's a counselor? No, actually, he's an inmate, killed a guy for $5,000. Who does that? Jesus does that. Bill Moore was changed so much over 16 years that people began writing letters for him, even the family of the guy he killed. And eventually those letters led to not only was his death sentence canceled, he was paroled, and he became the pastor of a large church in a desperately poor area. That's a peacemaker. Everywhere they go, 
James says. Everywhere they go, the harvest follows, and the good just keeps getting better. I mean, just ask yourself right now, what's getting multiplied around me? What's growing around me? What kind of harvest is being reaped around me? When, when Lee met with him, he asked him, Bill, what in the world turned your life around? Was it a new medication? Was it some rehab program, a new form of counseling? And Bill said, no, Lee, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just Jesus. I'm thinking, wow, Jesus sure can make a difference in the life of an inmate. Listen, that's the difference that Jesus makes in every person. See, the, the Beatitudes are not an optional curriculum for those in advanced Christianity, those who are getting their graduate degree in Christ. Gritty blessings are the pathway that Jesus uses to make every Jesus apprentice different. Peacemaking is not optional. If we don't give mercy, we won't get mercy. If we aren't pure in heart, we won't see God. And if we're in the family, if we're in the family, we're going to be peacemakers, people who make a difference. Well, one more description of a peacemaker. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, some of my favorite verses on peace. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, thanksgiving is the secret sauce, pray with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, peacemakers have found that prayer is better than worry. They've discovered that when they pray with an attitude of gratitude, God so fills them up that their hearts and minds are guarded in Christ. So they pray about everything first. Pray first. They pray about everything first. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if God's peace comes from the presence of Christ and few things lead us to others, leads us and others to Christ's presence, then then, then when we pray, <laughs> Richard Foster in his book on prayer said, Today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and our preoccupation. He mourns that we don't draw near. He longs for our presence and he's inviting us to come home, home to his heart. And the key to this home, Foster says, is prayer. But it's not just prayer for us. This blessing comes with an outward focus. This blessing is one of the hallmarks of a church without walls. This blessing comes when we dive into peacemaking for others, partnering with God to see others around us filled with peace. Not long after the Prince of Peace rode into the city of peace, he went to the temple, messed stuff up a bit, and he declared, my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. For 30 years, I can't get away from this call. My house will be a house of prayer for all people, known for prayer, not, not known for our worship or our Sunday gathering, our teaching, our, our programs, but, but known for prayer, known for prayer. And, and I, I don't always lead well in this area, but I can't shake the conviction. Jesus prioritized prayer. Often he went alone to pray at the most important intersections of his life. He spent time in prayer. When he sent his team out, he told them, first pray. The only recorded time the disciples asked him personally for teaching, it was, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like you pray? Jesus has a passion to see people draw close and be filled with peace, a passion to see God do the unimaginable. And for that to happen, prayer must happen. And I've been going to church on Sunday morning for 
61 plus years. And for all those years, the normal setting of a successful church has been how many come to the building on Sunday morning. That's been our normal. And I'm telling you guys, it's time to leave normal. It's time to go and pray. It's time to go and make peace. It's time for something more. As you pray, ask him. Just ask him to give you a glimpse of his heart for your neighbors, for your classroom, for your workplace, for your hashtag. Sometimes, and I don't, I don't know, when, when God just... God gives me just a taste of the passion of his heart for people. I'll be praying over the valley, and my heart gets squeezed out my eyes, and I start weeping for people I don't even know. And it's not coming from me. It's not my heart. It's something given to me in prayer. I know most of us think prayer is a good thing, something we should do more of, but do we view prayer as necessary, as essential, I think a lot of times we think the reason we aren't loving our neighbors well is simply because we don't have time or or because they're bad neighbors. If we just had more time or if they're better people, we'd be good neighbors. But the reality is that we can't do what Jesus calls us to do without Jesus helping us do it. We need to pray like it matters because it matters. In the last Calvary-wide survey that we did, over one-third of you had had a gospel conversation with someone in your hashtag, in your neighborhood, at works, someone who didn't know Jesus. But did you realize that, that you are three times, from our, our survey, from, from your input, you are three times more likely to have had a gospel conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus if you pray consistently for them. God just begins to do something in you and them. And, and, and here's the other great thing. It, you're eight times more likely to pray consistently if you have the names on your hashtag card. See, prayer matters. So, so ask yourself, will I commit to 140 days of extraordinary prayer? <laughs> Wait a minute, Dan, where did that come from? I'm just asking, would you make a short term? I know it doesn't seem short term, but 140 days is actually not that long. Would you make a short term commitment to extraordinary prayer? Well, what's extraordinary prayer? Well, pretty simply, take whatever is your ordinary and do a little extra. For, for many of us, praying every day is a little extra. For some of us, a little extra might involve us asking someone to join us on a prayer walk. For some, it might be telling someone on your hashtag that you're praying for them and asking them if they have any requests. Can you imagine what will happen in their heart when God answers those prayers? Maybe a little extra for some of you will be a day of fasting for your hashtag. Just calling us to a season of extraordinary prayer for a hashtag. And, and I know usually it's like 40 days. That's the biblical number. But 140 will take us to Easter. I'm, I'm not prophetic, but I, I feel like this last week as I was studying, I felt like the Spirit dropped something in the gut of my soul that between now and Easter is an open heaven kind of time, a strategic time, like he's just waiting for us to ask waiting for us to pursue him, waiting for us to do what he calls us to do. So what if we saturate our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces with prayer from now till Easter? I mean, if just 500 of us prayed for for our eight, that would be 4,000 people for 140 days. And I believe with all my heart that God's going to amaze us. So I'm asking you to take these hashtag cards and, and put your name in the middle and the names of eight people or eight families that you'll pray for their peace. Pray for them to meet the Prince of Peace from now till Easter. And then, and then do whatever God calls you to do in the midst of that. Be, be willing to be an answer to your prayer. Be willing to be interrupted. Be willing to invite them into your home or, or into Christmas Eve services or Easter services. 
Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's kids. Fred Craddock tells a story of a man that he and his wife met while eating in a restaurant in Tennessee. As they sat eating, they saw this guy going from table to table, just greeting diners. And eventually he made his way to their table and learning that Fred was a pastor, he insisted on telling them his story. He said he had been born just a few miles away across the mountain. His mother hadn't been married when he was born, a badge of shame in that place. And and the criticism directed at her also hit him. His, his schoolmates learned from their parents how to ridicule, and the boy learned to put up walls. He put up walls around his heart at lunch and recess any time he was around other kids. But even more difficult, he said, were the trips to town with his mother where he could feel the looks, the, the shaking of heads, and hear the question, I, I wonder who his father is. When he was 12, a new pastor came to their little church and and people talked about his skill as a preacher, and the boy began to go hear for himself. He, he was fascinated by the preacher, but he was always careful to slip in late, sit in the back, and leave early, lest someone catch him and ask him, well, what's a boy like you doing here? One Sunday, though, he was so caught up in the worship, he forgot to slip out before it was over, and, and suddenly he felt a, a big hand on his shoulder, and as he turned around, he saw the face of the preacher. The preacher said, who are you, son? Whose boy are you? His young heart sank at the question, but before he could even utter a word, the preacher continued, wait a minute, I know who you are. The family resemblance is unmistakable. You're a child of God. And with that, he patted the boy in the back. He said, boy, that's quite an inheritance. You go and claim it. The old man said that that one statement literally changed my life. The old guy's name was Ben Hooper, twice elected governor of the state of Tennessee. But you see, he didn't realize that he had a destiny until he realized he had a daddy, Father God. Listen to me, you have a daddy, and that daddy has a passion for peace. You, you have a big brother, and that big brother gave his life for peace, for your peace and your neighbor's peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Are you a peacemaker? Is the family family resemblance growing? I mean, just take a moment and think of a hard relationship, someone who has hurt you, disappointed you, betrayed you, disagreed with you, and something that's really important to you. Do you look like Jesus to them? I mean, will a point come when they can say to you, this is so much what I want to hear. I want to hear people say to me, I see Father God's face in you. I see Jesus' heart in you. I see the grit of the Spirit of God in you. I mean, is there anything the world needs more than peacemakers in this moment? And this is not an easy task. Listen to me. It's a high, hard calling. But it's what the family of God is called to do. We're called to listen more than we persuade. We're called to forgive more than keep score. We're, we're called to value humility over arrogance. We're called to heal the divides, not draw the lines. We're called to be peacemakers. And few blessings will require more grit in your soul than being a peacemaker. In years past, Thanksgiving has been my boundary line for Christmas music, December and December only. But this year, I don't know, it feels different. We so desperately need the Prince of Peace more than ever. And every promise of God is made and kept in Christ, including the promise of peace on earth. For neighbors and nations and the next generation, may we rise up at Calvary and make peace. Let me pray for you.
Father God, thank you for each person that you are at work in listening to this. God, would you pour your spirit out upon them? Would you help us to to be peacemakers? As part of the family of God, would you help us to look like you, Jesus, the one who gave his life on a cross so that we could find peace, so that we could find wholeness, shalom, fullness, a life of thriving even in the midst of trouble? And God, I pray for each person who who makes a commitment to 140 days of extraordinary prayer. God, would you answer? You know how much we need to see you at work in us and around us and through us. Would you answer our prayers as we are faithful to dive into a season of extraordinary prayer? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.